Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. We're in a series called Lasting Words from John chapter 16 through 17. This morning we'll be in John chapter 17. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article by someone who was reflecting on a number of things, and they mentioned uh, Steve Garber from Duke University. He's a graduate of Duke University. Uh, He wrote a book on education entitled The Fabric of Faithfulness. Uh, This writer that I was reading the article about, uh, he picked up on one of Steve Garber's quotes, and Steve Garber was referencing higher education, and particularly whether or not higher education accomplishes its goals. Here's what he said. We've got no idea of what it is that we want by the time somebody graduates, This so-called curriculum is a set of hoops that someone says students ought to jump through before graduation. No one seems to have asked, how do people become good people? This author from Duke University named Steve Garber is basically saying this. He says, we invest tons and tons of money in education. There's massive, massive campuses, there are classes, there are books, there are resources, there are a lot of things that we pour into education, but the question that he's asking is simply this, have we really talked about the big picture of what we want that education to accomplish? Has anybody really stepped back and said, yeah, we're throwing books and resources and campuses and online experiences, and we're doing all of these pieces for those in higher education, but has anyone really ever stepped back and asked the big question, why are we doing all this, and what is the intended outcome of the student that we foresee? The same thing is often true in churches as well. We gather together, we do tons of stuff, but what's it all for? What's the intended outcome? What do we foresee? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the big picture? When Jesus prays in John chapter 17, he's literally hours before his crucifixion. And so when he prays to the Father in heaven, Jesus has laser-sharp clarity on exactly what he's praying for and why he's praying it. He prays for himself. He says in John chapter 17, the hour has come, and by the hour, he's literally meaning the hour in which he's going to give his life. He has laser-sharp clarity. He says, Father in heaven, may I glorify you even as this hour approaches. Then last week, Jeremy led us into the first part of Jesus praying for his disciples. And once again, he prays with crystal clear, laser-sharp clarity as to who his disciples would be. He had this vision of, here's what a disciple is. And so he prays to the Father in heaven, and he continues that in what we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. 
It's kind of part two of Jesus' prayer for his disciples at that time. And next Sunday and the following two Sundays, we're going to look at Jesus' prayer for future disciples, meaning those of us who are gathered here in 2022. Jesus prays not just for his disciples of that time, but he prays for his disciples who would eventually believe on his name and be gathered together in his name. What's fascinating is in, the, in John chapter 17, as Jesus prays these, this prayer for himself, for his disciples, and eventually for future disciples, the word world shows up 18 times. In fact, the word world shows up seven times in just the verses that we're going to look at this morning. So there's something about the world that has something to do with Jesus' vision for his disciples. There's something about our relationship with the world that has everything to do with who we are as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at three things, and I'll probably get tongue-twisted in them, uh, that relate to the world. Again, it's mentioned seven times in the verses we're looking at this morning. It's mentioned 18 times in John 17. We better understand this because it's a pretty big deal. First thing, Jesus talks about the word and the world. The word and the world. Verse 13 of John 17. Jesus says, I am coming to you. This is Jesus praying. I am coming to you, meaning the Father, now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Uh, listen to this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Right there is kind of the first thing we're going to look at. The word and the world. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So first thing we got to do is like, okay, what's Jesus talking about? He says, I have given them your word. What does he mean by that? They already had parts of the Old Testament. Uh, all of the Old Testament was written previous to the coming of Jesus, and so they had that history to read. The second part of our Bibles, the New Testament, they certainly didn't have because that's the account of the activities of Jesus that were written several years after Jesus was here. But Jesus says to them, I have given them your word. What's he meaning by that? What Jesus is saying is this. I have given to them the truth of who the Father is. I have given to them the truth of who the God of heaven is. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of John's gospel, the, the same gospel that we're diving into in chapter 17, here's how John begins. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that may seem strange. Like, why is he talking about the Word? What he's saying is this, Jesus is coming as the exact representation, the revelation of who God actually is. Later on in John 1.14, he says what he, what he means by the word. The word became flesh. What became, Jesus became flesh. Jesus is God in flesh, came here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Listen, friends. So, so Jesus is saying, I have given to people the revelation of who the God of heaven actually is. Now, that kind of flies in the face of a lot of the way that we think, because here's how our culture often thinks. People often say, like, that's, that's not the God that I believe in. Okay, like, who is the God that you believe in, and who determines who that God is? Because if your God is simply the figment of your imagination, or if you attach to God everything that you want God to be, well, then you may as well be God. So, so how do we figure out who God is? Jesus is saying, I am the word. I am God's revelation of who God is. Now, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Don't simply figure out like in, in the internal sense of like, oh, this is who I think God is. No, Jesus is saying, if you want to figure out who God is, if you want to understand who he is, you've got to look at the word. You've got to look at the person of Jesus. He's the revelation of who God is. And by the way, it just goes without saying, it's not simply a system of truth. Jesus is a person. And so the truth is not just a position. The truth is a person. So that's the word. What about world? What does John mean when he says the world? Well, world can mean a number of things and different ways that it's used in, the, in Scripture. John most often means the world is sort of that which is separated or distanced or disconnected from God. The world is a, a system, a thought process that is disconnected, not in sync with the actual truth of who God is. Now, God doesn't hate the world because in John chapter 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. In other words, God loved this system, these people here on this planet who are disconnected and disassociated and kind of separated from him as creator. So the world and the word, the word and the world. The word is the revelation of who God is represented in the person of Jesus. The world is a system, a mindset that's separated, disconnected, disjointed from who God actually is. Maybe you might think of the world as this. The world is where you find life. The world defines where you find life. So, so our world would say things like this. Our world system would say the system of truth is your, your impulse is inspired. That's one of the truths of our world. And so for you to find freedom, for you to find your greatest level of autonomy, for you to be authentically you, our world system says your impulse, what you feel is inspired. That's truth. That'll lead you into freedom. That'll lead you into space. That'll lead you to actually be the person you most are because your impulse is inspired. Follow your impulse and that'll be the path of freedom. That's what our world says. That's the system of truth. The, the world says the, the, the essence of life where you're going to find life is finding yourself ownership. Where you're going to find life is finding truth within yourself. Be authentic to yourself. That's where you'll find life. 
And so pursue your impulse, pursue what your heart and soul tell you, because that's the path of life. That's what will give you. Be yourself and you will have life. Interesting, Jesus says, lose yourself and you'll have life. Maybe just a couple of concrete examples of how that works. In John chapter 5, Jesus talks, and Jesus has, we have the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus gives the Beatitudes. Let me just maybe contrast some of the Beatitudes between what the world would say and what Jesus, the Word, says as God's revealed truth. Our, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who understand their own insufficiency to find life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our world would say, blessed are the arrogant, for they shall dominate and control. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are grieved by the brokenness of our world. Blessed are those who understand that this world is broken and where they're never going to truly find life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Our world says, blessed are those who flaunt and dictate and are self-assured, for they will be conquerors. They will finally get the gift of life. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Meek does not mean weak. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Again, meek does not mean weak. It means a spirit of submissiveness to God. It means a spirit of humility before God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our world says, blessed are the brash, for they fight fire with fire and demean the opposition. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That they desire and thirst for things to be right. For blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Our world says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for autonomy, self-discovery, and pursuing their own truth, for they are free from restraint and limitation. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the kind-hearted. Blessed are those who are not vengeful. Blessed are those who don't simply make somebody else pay, for they will be shown mercy. The world says, blessed are the self-assertive, the overbearing, for they will steamroll and crush those who disagree with them. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart who think beautiful thoughts about God's goodness and beauty for they will see God. Our world says, blessed are the autonomous and self-seeking for they will discover themselves and have self-actualization. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Our world says, blessed are the contentious, for they will be called courageous. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The world says, blessed are those who demean and disparage, for theirs is the kingdom of influence and importance. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Our world says, blessed are you when you are liked, followed, retweeted, and you have many followers. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, what's going to be the essence of your life? What's going to be the essence of where you find it? Friends, are you more shaped by the word or are you more shaped by the world? Are you more shaped by the gospel or are you more shaped by the things that impact all of us seven days a week? We often talk about being formed and shaped by the gospel. What's deforming and deshaping your life? Are you more formed and shaped by the truth of who God is, by the revealed word, by the person of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit? Are you more formed and shaped by the living word of God, or are you more formed and shaped by the world? I remember seeing this a while back. I think it was floating around on social media. Notice that Jesus says, he says, you know, in me, you'll have joy. Remember on social media, this is a while back. I can't remember anybody who posted it, so I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But, but I just remember the statement somewhere read. It was this thing that said, if you're not outraged, you don't know what's happening. I think what Jesus would say is if you don't have joy, if your joy is not rooted in the infinite and eternal God, if you don't have joy, you don't know what's happening. Listen, friends, my measure of joy actually tells me what I'm being most formed by. My measure of joy is a measuring stick of whether I'm being shaped by the word or if I'm being shaped by the world. Because the person of Jesus doesn't change. He's always faithful. He's always good. He's always filled with grace. And so one of the measuring sticks in my life is the more my life has joy, the more I know I'm formed and shaped by the word rather than the world. What's shaping your life these days? Secondly, not only the word and the world, but secondly, the war and the world, the war and the world. It alludes to this in verse 14 that I already read. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Then verse 15, listen to this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. You don't have to say this out loud, but I'm going to ask you to guess what's going to come next. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from, don't say it out loud, what would you think would come next? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from, I would kind of naturally think that what's going to come next is the world. That's what I would think. Jesus says, I'm not going to take you out of the world but I'm going to protect you from, and my natural inclination would be protect you from the world. It's not what he says. Jesus' prayer is, 
I'm praying that you would protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Here's the deal, friends. Too many times we mistake the enemy as being the world rather than the evil one. Our war is not against the world. Now, the evil one certainly uses the world to influence us. It's a big concern. We need to have an antenna out for that. We can be shaped by the world. But listen, our enemy is not the world. Our enemy is the evil one. And many times, followers of Jesus become demeaning, antagonistic, and arrogant to the world because we mistake the world as our enemy, and it's not our enemy. The world is a victim of the enemy. The world is not the enemy. Satan, the evil one, that's the enemy that Jesus prays that we would be protected from. You know, often, uh, just kind of a few minutes to take a look at how this works. You know, I often draw kind of continuums, and it's kind of like how we relate to the world. Over here, there's often an approach that's maybe can be said like this, coddle and cuddle, right? Kind of know what that looks like. Kind of like cozy up to the world, like the whole self-ownership thing, this whole self-autonomy thing. So we, we coddle and we cuddle. Over here is attack and assault. So it's not coddle and cuddle, but it's attack and assault. Like, we just got to give it to them, man. Just got to fight fire with fire. And so we attack and we assault what we see that the world is doing wrong. You know, Jesus is not a middleman. But Jesus understands the dynamic of the way that things work. It's not as, com- it's not as simplistic as coddle and cuddle. It's not as simplistic as uh, attack and assault. Jesus says, be filled with grace and truth. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the verse that we read earlier, it's exactly what it says. It says, the world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. Friends, we are not to coddle and cuddle. Jesus says the world is going to hate you. We are also not to attack and assault and demean, be demeaning or domineering. We are to be people filled with grace and truth. You know, I don't, I don't know how much to put into this, and maybe I'm putting too much into it, but I've, I've been haunted by something the last few days, and it's simply this. You know, I was writing my notes, and I was kind of like, put this in my notes, and, you know, here's where I was going to go. And I was, I was looking back, and... I noticed that I had truth and grace rather than grace and truth. Might not be a big deal. I'm not going to like psychoanalyze myself to death. But I don't know. Like I I did feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, saying, Nathan, because I actually like looked back at the verses like, what order is that in? And the order is actually grace and truth, not truth and grace. And here's the deal. Most of us probably lean toward one or the other. Listen, friends, the vision of Jesus is for his disciples to be full of grace and truth, 100% of each. Not 70% truth 
and 30% grace or 30% truth and 70% grace. The vision for Jesus' disciples is that they would be protected from the evil one. And when it comes to the world, that they would be filled with grace and truth. Some of us probably in a room like this, maybe we're 70-30 in favor of truth. Some of us in a room like this, maybe we're 70-30 in favor of grace. I don't know about you. I want to be a person that when it comes to how we relate to the world, is 100% grace. Is 100% the kindness and goodness and compassion and love of God and also 100% filled with truth. I wonder if the world would be impacted a little bit more if Jesus' disciples of his church were 100% grace and 100% truth. And I know that probably some of you watching online, probably some in this room, you know, my guess is, man, some of us probably have wounds from somebody who might have spoken to us with 98% truth and 2% grace. Some of us maybe are buried in sin because we had somebody spoke to us with 98% grace and then tell us the truth of how God wants us to live. We're all there. Jesus saying, there's a war that has to do with the world and it's not a war against the world. It's a war against the evil one and toward the world. May we be filled with grace and truth. May that characterize us here at Southridge. Lastly, the word and the world, the war and the world. Lastly, the work and the world, the work and the world. Jesus says in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Then he says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What word sanctify simply means set them apart. Sana is basically the same word as holy. The word holy is not simply sort of, you know, moralistic cleanness. It certainly includes that, but it's much more than that. It's the idea of being set apart, distinct, used only for God, set apart. My prayers that uh, sanctify them by the truth set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, may your Holy Spirit through the living word, through the person of Jesus, set them apart for the purposes and the work of God. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Listen, friends, here's the deal. Sanctification or sanctify is a religious word in our day. But whether you're religious or not, here's the deal. You are set apart. You are sanctified to something. Your life is set apart to something. There's something that you see as being life and you give your life to that. You are set apart for something. You might be set apart for affirmation. So to get the affirmation of others, 
governs your behaviors, governs how you interact, because you're set apart to get affirmation. Some of us might be set apart to pleasure or recreation or entertainment or comfort or ease. And so we're set apart and we organize our lives and we organize our schedule. And the way that we live our life is that we're set apart for a life of ease. Some of us might be set apart for financial progress or corporate progress or steps forward. Again, all of those things, they're not wrong. But here's the deal. You can only set your life apart to one thing. There, you can only be fully devoted to one thing. And Jesus says, Father in heaven, I pray that my followers would be set apart, would belong only to you through the work of your Holy Spirit, through the work of the word. Maybe just some things that maybe are practical and you can think through. Are you set apart to serve God? Or are you set apart for your time to be your own? Are you set apart to pray to the God of heaven? Or are you set apart to your schedule because you figure you can do more than what prayer accomplishes? Are you set apart to spend time with God? Or are you set apart to pursue your own deal because nothing really happens of substance when you spend time with God? Are you set apart to give your resources generously to the work of God? Or are you set apart to sort of use your resources for yourself because you worked for it, they belong to you? Are you set apart to humility of spirit? Or are you set apart to the fact that you got what you have coming and you worked hard to get it? Are you set apart to God to be kind and loving and gracious? Or are you set apart to put others in their place? Are you set apart to sacrifice your own comfort and pleasure? Or are you set apart to, for what you deserve and to pamper yourself? Are you set apart for God? Or are you set apart for yourself? Jesus says to the Father in heaven, Father, May they be set apart through your truth, through the word, through the person of Jesus. I'm going to ask our team to come out. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing the song in Christ alone. Before we actually sing that song, um, Dick Brand is going to play an instrumental on his saxophone, just leading us in that song to just so that we can have some space and talk to God and talk to him, our spirits and, and pray and enjoy that. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to think about. I don't know if you caught this or not. But that very last verse in verse 19, here's what Jesus said. Listen to this. For them, meaning the disciples, Jesus talking with the Father in heaven, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Friends, this is crazy. Our world says, you're your own deal. You don't lay your interests aside for anybody. If serving others inconveniences you, forget serving others. 
If serving others makes you feel good about yourself and kind of escalates the fact that you're an other-centered person, well then, yeah, do it. But it's all about you. Our world system says, you're the deal. Your interests are inspired. Your, your, what your heart is drawn to follow that, you'll be the most authentic. Your impulse is inspired. Follow your heart. Jesus says, give your heart to God. Follow him. If there's anybody, if there's anyone who could have legitimately said, hey, I deserve to self-actualize myself. I deserve to pursue my dream. I deserve to pursue my ambition. If anybody who ever walked on planet Earth could have done that, it would have been the person of Jesus. Right? Realize what that verse says. Jesus says, I'm going to set apart myself for the Father in heaven so I can serve you. The God of heaven in the person of Jesus sanctified himself, set himself apart for the cross for you. Friends, that's crazy. It's crazy. And so the process of us setting ourselves apart is not just one that we beat ourselves up you know, we stuff ourselves, we demean ourselves, we beat ourselves. No, it's, it's not what it means. What it means is we delightfully and joyfully give ourselves to God because he's given himself to us. If you're a dad, your kids need you to be sanctified to God if you're going to be the father that he intends you to be. If you're a mom, the best gift that you can give to your kids is a woman who's set apart to God. If you're a single, the best gift that you can give to your friends is being a friend yourself who's set apart to God the best gift that we can give to each other as followers of Jesus in a community of people is to be people who are set apart to God. Like the best gift that I can give to this congregation is a Nathan Tucky who's set apart for God. And I kind of, honestly, that messes with my head. And I hope it messes with yours. So as Dick plays this song, just have some reflection time. God, how do you want me to be set apart for you? Am I being more shaped by the word or by the world? Am I a person who's filled with grace and truth? I'm set apart to something. What is it?
So just, you know, you can bow your head. You can look at the cross behind me. You can shut your eyes, open your eyes, whatever you need to do. But just have this time to reflect and to enjoy the music that our team plays. Just to have some reflection time with the God of heaven.
desire to be set apart for you. We stand not in ourselves. We stand in you. We don't stand in our own identities. We stand in you. May we be a church, may we be people filled with grace and truth. May we be people who are formed and shaped by the gospel rather than the world. May we love the world even as you loved it and gave yourself for the world. Thank you for setting your part, yourself apart for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Our prayer team is down here to the left, your right, my left. God bless. Have a wonderful day and have a safe trip home.